Welcome to another episode of the Impact of AI, an AI Time Journal podcast. Also supported by WILDA, Women Leaders in Data and Artificial Intelligence. For those of you who have not met, my name is Melissa Drew and I'll be your host for this week's episode. This episode is really brought from a series of, of stories and communications that we've been having offline around how do you continue to advocate and communicate the successes of an AI program that you've developed in your organization. So in previous podcasts, we've talked about the process of building AI technologies, the impact of those AI technologies that we have personally and professionally. We've also explored um, collection of data, but the one thing and the theme that keeps coming back is, well, once I build all this, how do I communicate that and advocate that for the company? How do I, how do I communicate the successes? How do I share the success stories throughout the enterprise so that we can build upon that and move on with more AI successes? So today I've brought on Julian Ryan. She is an author. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about your book, but she is an author that she'll talk about that lately. And she has a very unique perspective on storytelling in a way that's humorous, but also very effective. And I, and I love that combination because when I'm talking to, to clients and customers, the one thing that I get is I don't know how to take all of what I'm doing and encapsulate it in such a way that's going to be easy for everyone else to understand, but also drive a business case to continue the AI technologies. Welcome, Julian. Hello there, and it's great to see you and be part of this. So thank you, Melissa. I'm always yeah. excited to see what you're up to. So let's let's start briefly with the book because I, I know that there are references in the book that, that I read that are I think would be very beneficial here. Yes. Well, first of all, to give you the title, and I'll just happen to have it next to me. Thank you. It, uh, it's the, wait, let me just get it out of my blur shot. It's the Learned in Queens Communications Playbook, Winning Against Digital Distraction. Probably one of the longest titles out there, but for good purposes. Um, it really was inspired by uh, things I was observing through commutes in New York, et cetera, about how we're commuting and communicating with each other, and also things I saw in the workplace about disrupted people's communication and the simple things that we were doing wrong and a couple of things that might help. Now, if, if you're like me, I don't like to be lectured to and um, being told do this and do this better. So I use the book um, as a humorous way to prompt some listening and to disrupt how we're viewing situations. Um, and it's based on a couple of simple principles and neuroscience, but I just, and it's about the art of listening. It's about paying attention. And usually our miscommunications start with us. There's a shocker. <laughs> and also the assumptions we make and the things we project onto a situation. Because part of the challenge lately and the idea that spawned the book started as a speech years ago about what were we doing to get into trouble? And it was usually that we, were, we had our heads down we were using our digital devices, our phones, even our emails to great advantage. But what those tools lack is context and nuance. We read and listen to those messages in our head and write our own dialogue. We infuse a voice 
and we infuse our assumptions. And that's where things get sticky. So I'll stop there. No, I, I'm glad you I'm glad you said all that because I think that better articulates why I have you, you know, on, on today, why we're talking is no matter what, whether I'm a chief procurement officer, whether mm-hmm. I'm a, a digital officer, there's a now a chief digital information officer. I mean, all of these C-suites, you know, chief analytics, chief data officer, we're all out there working to build these programs. And the number one job that we have is building relationships, not just with other C-suite officers, but with our business stakeholders. Mm-hmm. And the, the primary feedback I get is, I'm doing really good things in my department and I'm impacting positively these business stakeholders, but I'm not able to articulate these successes. I'm not able to communicate. And the industry, as, you, as your book is illustrated, it's really more about the story. You're not there to say, hey, I'm doing this, this is great, and this is the value I'm getting you. It's, it's the story that, that surrounds what I'm doing that's really connecting with other people in the organization. And, and I think the, the principles in your book and some of the things that you just outlined um, really, I think, come back and, and emphasize why you're here today. Well, one of the things I thought of as we were doing this brief introduction is mm-hmm. business 101 when you're doing consulting or having conversations. Why should I listen to you? Mm-hmm. And why does it matter? Well, here's the point of credibility. Not only I worked in HR and shared services, uh, many years ago, I got introduced to the earlier versions of procurement as it stands today. And they ended up being internal clients and relationships for years. So I've seen the progression. Mm-hmm. And any field like that is we're in the consulting business of listening and our work improves um, and the end product improves if we can collaborate and put ourselves in the client's shoes. We all fall in love with our product saying, this is going to help you. Why aren't you excited about this? And no, you know, no one cares or they run down the hallway away from us, but, um, or now it's a virtual hallway uh, and it's why it matters. So data and information are needed, mm-hmm. but it's the emotions and how we connect the dots to what they're experiencing and why it can make a difference. And that's the piece that sometimes everybody likes to take a shortcut. We just assume and presume everyone's just going to fall in love with it and they get the point. Story, when we use it to even do our own brain story, helps us create some perspective and stand back and receive information and see what we need to change and why. And um, even though I wrote the humorous book, even the making of the book for another session, taught me a lot of valuable lessons about the art of feedback and collaboration and getting out of our own way and giving up control of a product we think is wonderful and is and learning and improving it because of that feedback. So that's key things. It's, it's not rocket science. It's just like a, it's like a practice we have to instill of making sure we've checked off those boxes as we go. I, I believe people are familiar with you know stories reading in books, and I think mm-hmm. you've you've uh, you made a, a really good observation that yeah I can I can read a story and I could watch a movie those are all stories but those are things that are you know fictitious mm-hmm. but in an organization where I've achieved a goal I've you know let's go back to an example I've created an, an AI model that's going to support 
um, better support maybe a, a revenue opportunity that I have in the company. It could be around financial services where it's going to create better AI application. It could be uh, synthesizing um, organizational data more quickly that's going to allow value to the business stakeholder to get information at a higher confidence. I mean, there's all these things that are occurring within the, the, the data office and the analytics office utilizing these AI technologies. Now, what we've come to understand is a lot of the organization doesn't understand the AI technologies, mm -hmm. but in the end, I'm not wanting to explain to them about the technology. I'm wanting to take the data that you've just said and somehow encapsulate it with a story that mm -hmm. will resonate with the stakeholders. And just a moment ago, you said that we get in our own way. So let's maybe unpack that a little bit more how are we getting in our own way that we're not being as effective? We can presume what we, how the client is experiencing the situation, or even if they are that um, invested in making a change. Look at all the changes you did on procurement processes years ago, even ahead of what happened, what's been developing in AI. So it's that investing in that time and really doing your due diligence in, in, developing a relationship with the client and doing listening rather than rushing to get it done. I know you want to drive revenue, but mm -hmm. investing that time on the front end reaps benefits along. And it's not having just a couple of conversations. It's looking at how that product or those services are going to product many different levels of experiences. So talk to people at different levels of the organizations and the client group. Should be obvious, but investing and asking people to do it from a story version of how it impacts them is much different than give me a fact, give me a number, how many times you use this product. If you can get them to be much more descriptive because our brains are, narrow, um, are wired for storytelling. That's the most natural and universal style conversations. Then that frees up us to listen for nuances and patterns. So very much like somebody looking at data analytics, when we're doing a story work, we're looking at patterns and seeing what comes up. And but because we're human, we can pick up on the nuances and say, well, tell me more. So that is part of it. The other section is there's a very good um, neuroscientist that I've become friends with in an interview is Brian Grabowski. And he talks about this model is picking and choosing when you use certain tool. One thing you use data. That's important. You want to show facts and figures and where you got the data and the research that supports what you're doing. Sometimes it's as simple as a metaphor to connect the listener to where this should, shows up in their life to how it will impact going forward. The other key component is start with the end in mind. Why are you even bringing up uh, an analogy or a case study now? Is it at the right part of your conversation and why does it matter? So figuring out what the end state is and the purpose and is what you're sharing and include the listener in. So they, they are, the whole purpose is they, they get me, they understand what I'm going for, and now I can collaborate a bit more because I've built some trust. And the other thing too, don't make a story that's like really polished and wonderful. I remember uh, one of my old bosses years ago she shipped me off to a conference and said, go learn something. And I was so mad during most of the conference because all the consultants came up and said, we had this challenge and we worked with a client and it was wonderful afterwards. And they were so happy. And I'm like, 
tell me where you sweated behind the scenes and why something wasn't going right and when the, the project was going to blow up, blow up. And finally, there was one group that came on the stage to confess, like, it wasn't rosy and people were mad. And I was like, those people I trust because they were vulnerable hmm. and they told me some truths of what was broken, what they fixed before they got to me. Because as an end user, sometimes I was like, are we your beta site? Are you testing all of this stuff for us? Or is there some history or some logic? So I think the other part of story that's valuable, it tells you the journey of what's, why this is effective or could be effective. So don't whitewash everything. Mm -hmm. um, the art of sharing is that you put yourself out there and you show some real emotion facts that people say, okay, they've got some skin in the game and they, this means something to them. Who's got the skin in the game? The person telling the story or the yes, person? Yes, sorry, the oh. consultant or the, the person, the leader in the group. Right. They actually are invested in what they're doing. They're not just giving you a whole line of, you know, to get a product sold or implemented. So I'm, I'm at, I've taken everything that you've said and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, you know, we're following this path of, of this leader who's trying to develop the story and communicate it. I think where we're at now is kind of in the middle. So we've, we've got the project, um, we've, we've got the pilot, it, it works really well. Yes, it's very, you know, everything that's, is very fact-based. We have lots of data, we have lots mm -hmm. of testing. We know what's not working, what's working. We know that we're taking this product and we wanna move it out into the rest of the organization. Um, so in working through the steps that you just outlined, the next phase sounds like it's pulling it all together. Correct. And cause, so I've, I've, I've gone through the steps and now I'm, and I think this is where I see a lot of what you were saying earlier, kind of gaps or my obstacles is how do I, how do I form that into mm -hmm. the story? So this isn't like, you know, a presentation where here's a presentation mm -hmm. where we've got some slides, you know, that, that doesn't sound like it's going to make a really good story. So how do we, how do we go from all the stuff that you just said, where I've, I've got all the principles and the foundations and I'm understanding the end user and why we're doing this. And yes, I've got skin in the game. How do I get it to that next stage where I've evolved it into a story? I think you include your customers in it. And this mm -hmm. is an important part because what you did is something we talked about before we, we got on the call was change management. Mm -hmm. How can I break, um, break the situation down and what we're working on together to what we're envisioning what the future is gonna be and include them. So to give opportunities for your team to report back and give where the wins are, what is important and also where things need to be managed and calibrated along the way. So part of what you're doing is using your voice in a little bit different way. You're using your critical thinking and you're observing what's happening, but you're including your, your, your organization, your customers in the process. And that is where knowledge transfer happens and also envisioning. A lot mm -hmm. of times there's a lot of implementations and transitions in organizations and they don't end well or they get stuck and they never move forward because we were, in, we're great at the starting gate saying, this is great, it's happening. 
we forget to keep including uh, the organization and giving them the steps and the information they need along the way. And a little bit of metaphor and stories and more in-person, interpersonal communications can happen. And I've used, I've seen it being, um, this process being used in very artful ways in organization to engage, retain, and sustain certain initiatives as, as they move forward. Uh, please share if you have, yeah. Well, we love, we of, like stories. So please we tell do. us some yeah, stories. Yeah. <laughs> well, one company comes to mind and it's a technology company that they're, they're not in the design stage, they're in the implementation and work with an infrastructure of different customer companies. Mm -hmm. And rather than in their, their process of doing a traditional report, state of the business, they start to do a collection among the different divisions of consultants and external consultants of what they saw that was working for them and what other people were working successfully. So they called it memorable moments. Mm -hmm. And they reported it back to themselves. They taught them some essential storytelling skills, like one-on-one. We're not thinking thespian here. We're just saying, here's something you notice, um, uh, extraordinary service or somebody who problem solved. And instead of talking about yourself, you're reporting back about that individual. So as the organization kept feeding those stories through each quarter and starting to connect the dots along the way, they not only showed where they problem solved, they showed where they had achieved on this initiatives or many initiatives, they instituted the values and they also gave a great pat on the back that was reinforced to individuals and promoted them along the way to say, Here's some of the stars and the people who really took um, some interesting leadership roles. Normally that would be silenced. You know, that wouldn't come to the fore. That would show up in a performance review sheet or maybe some conversations. But this was a public and very inclusive experience and takes a little bit of time, but not as much time as you think. And I think it'll reap the benefits as they're going forward. So those are the cheap and chair when we talk about what do we do with stamps? How do we keep them um, engaged and aware? That's a simple thing that can be done and it's very budget friendly and you'll get the, the advantage of knowledge transfer, engagement and having people have an, an knowledge about why this project or these projects are important. I'm going to repeat back what I what I heard just to make sure I'm mm -hmm. I'm following. So as we as we think about the the art of storytelling, um, specifically as it relates to again what we're doing in our in our own company and and sharing that with the enterprise the organization, that you know starting off with the initial story and mm -hmm. communicating, you know here's here's what we're doing, why we're doing it, here's some of the data and the and the facts, but but usually that's often where we stop. What you're highlighting is that initial story needs to really come from the, the, the user, the end user's perspective and how they're interacting with it and what value they're gonna get out of it. And then it's, and then what I hear is we don't just stop there. It's this continuous conversation that we have. And then you also mentioned publicly, it's a continuous conversation that we have publicly where we can share small stories mm -hmm. about the interaction that individuals are having with whatever it is we're creating. Um, and I think what was really interesting there. is you mentioned publicly. And you know, that's a good point. If 
I could be a really good storyteller, but if nobody's, if nobody's listening or I'm not communicating or sharing that story in the right you know, format or the right medium, then how is the rest of the organization going to hear that? So what are some examples that you've come across that are more effective in how we're sharing that, that story? Well, the reason stories are effective and for a very science-oriented and um, analytical group, you should know our brains um, listen different because stories are facts and emotions. And when they're fused together, first of all, they form um, a memory. And that is what you want. You can give all the great information in the world and it goes right out of your head in a lot of cases. Story gives context. And when you're sharing it to your, your audience or your, your, uh, your clients, they, their brains are firing up on all cylinders, basically, on both sides of the hemispheres. And if they start to connect the information that you have shared and say, okay, that solution that you're proposing, whether it's looking at customer care in a hospital situation, how we're dealing with uh, AI to work with clients, their brain starts to download other scenarios in their brain that mirror the situation you're doing. So your brain is very alive during this process and it is mimicking what the, the share is saying. And that's where the power is when you're looking at creating a relationship and getting things to stick. So I hope that helps a little. So it's the neuroscience that is really the empowerment. We are a very, we're, we're all unique individuals. Yes, we have things in common, but if someone speaks to us on an individual level and makes it personal, and create some emotion, that's where the memory and the power of that information takes foot. Does that story need to have certain elements given that you know, male and female communicate differently, male and female probably listen differently? Mm -hmm. Is there any, anything we can do to, to help <laughs> make sure that that story resonates with all individuals? Well, there are elements. So traditional elements, yes, there's a story arc. There's a big, you, you figure out your ending, where you want to land on and why. There's a beginning, there's a middle and the end. And then you add sensory elements, what mm -hmm. something's felt like, what it sounded like, what, what, it, what you heard, and you keep it in the eye form. I'm trained in the narrative uh, methodology where you stay present. You don't say, well, way back when this happened. I'm usually telling a story when I share it to an audience or a group as if it's happening now and mm. you're bringing the listener in. The other part of the story is that there's always dramatic tension. There's always a conflict. You have a hero moment. Somebody went to do something and a problem ensued. So you're creating some tension in the what happened and how that problem solved and what that person, we talk about the hero's journey, what the hero took that knowledge and went back and solved more things. The other beautiful thing about storytelling, it is, and why it should be used more, it is an important way to teach somebody how to listen and how to give feedback. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm doing a formal story session of using these key elements and showing how somebody can use it in their work, we teach how, not just how the storyteller should share it, you know, some basics about their presence, their voice, their delivery, throwing out details they don't need, cleaning it up, having it adjust to 
the situation at hand, but also what the listeners should be doing. When we're doing a group, we're usually saying one person's going to feel, um, tell them what words came to mind about the story, how it made them feel, and give certain constructive feedback. And that discussion really reveals a lot of facts and insights that would not come to mind uh, necessarily. So it's the art of listening. And you're right, men, women, they listen differently intuitively, but each group can be taught uh, to get much more powerful in their story sharing. And I've witnessed a lot in groups. It's amazing what can happen. With COVID, um, because we're still, we're even though we've, we've, we've been in this for, oh, what, uh, over, Almost two, two years. years, two years. Oh, wow. Two years. Um, we, we still have a lot of folks, uh, a lot of organizations that are remote. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, you know, before when we were able to do a lot of this in person, um, there's a, a different interaction that you get with, you know, you get to see the person speak with their hands. Um, mm -hmm. you, may, you may feel visually, you may, you may have a, a different impact because you can see more of the emotion or you see them walking around or you get more eye contact because they're looking right at you. But now I would say majority of, of this, this story is coming over the phone or um, we're having to do it over Zoom. So has the art of storytelling changed in, in the last couple of years and in how we present ourselves? Thank you for asking that because part of my book is oh, advocacy. Okay. Part, it, there's a section I'm like advocate for the power of in your space dialogue as opposed to in your face mm. interactions to listen, be present. And there is a part I mentioned that we are hybrid a lot of times and you don't get to be with the person. So the, pick, the picking up the phone and having a live conversation to recreate it. We at least have visual cues where we're on Zoom so we can look for nuances and body language and sense. But I do agree with you that um, this has been a very interesting learning journey uh, because I'm all for live and then I'm like, oh, great. I just wrote a book and now we're in virtual. But here's the good news. The last two years have taught me that you can develop good relationships. You can teach this art form and bring teams together in these rectangles. You can be constructive. Um, and there's a, the, the same methodology that works in person will work in these group sessions. And I have work, you know, brought individuals together and seen them develop relationships and move and um, develop more confidence in their, their presence. On the other hand, I have had the opportunity to be in person and it is wonderful because you mm -hmm. do get more, if you get more of the small moments where you can turn around to somebody in a room and react to something you saw at the corner of my eye. And I had that in one conference room and the first one I got released from captivity. And I was <laughs> like, oh, humans, I remember these creatures. <laughs> they're, they're moving around, but I got to look at them and listen to them before the session. And then, um, you get to react and riff in the moment and change directions where um, unfortunately, and fortunately a lot of our presentations last few years had to be a little more scripted. We mute everybody. We don't get to hear their voices, make jokes. They're thinking, I wonder if that landed. I hope so. Um, <laughs> maybe they'll write something in chat to me. So it was a very interesting learning journey, but both of them have value. I think we are gonna be navigating that whole issue of like, what brings value for us to get together live? 
the nuances, the small mm -hmm. moments, and then where can we still build on it and come together as a group? But I have to share because I think this group would appreciate. That's that first session I talked about. I sat in the room, somebody fed me, which is always really good. I got to have breakfast live <laughs> and I was watching all the dynamics and the meeting was going great because I was a little later in the agenda. They had celebrations, they had acknowledgements. So the trajectory was going well for somebody who's gonna perform and do a session. I'm like, great, great, great. But then they let a guy who was gonna talk about cybersecurity and hacking right in before me. <laughs> And you could feel the energy going down, 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 and watching all the telegraph messages on people's for how much this is going to cost me, what is my organization at risk? It was a killer, and I was like, I waited two years for this. <laughs> so, so part of the thing in the audience I was able to do is call it out and say, look, in performing, you never want to follow the kids act or the dog act, and now you don't want to follow the security guy. So it's that kind of improvisation you're able mm. to do in a in a in-person moments a little differently but I was like that stuck with me I was like man I can't believe this is happening but it's a little moments because here's the thing that I wasn't able to do you can have breakout rooms in, in zoom which is great and then you can launch in and listen but it's a little different to move around a room and eavesdrop on the conversation what have you have to be in it and the other part I, I'm not telling anything that's rocket science here but it's the hallway chatter and the, the after moments that make a difference and how people start to build relationships and feed off of what they heard in a group, I think, is the power of being person. So when you have an opportunity, find ways to bring your groups together. It doesn't have to be all the time, but do it with a purpose um, mm -hmm. to have them really connect and um, have small connections. It's not about the big moments, the small connections that matter. So I... I, I, what I heard was um, humanizing, you know, being, being yes. human that yes. I'm, I'm not here to just give you a slide, you know, here's my slides, here's what we're doing, here's why we're doing it, here's what, it, here's what I think you're going to get out of it. It's, um, it's also not improv, but it's also going off script. And, mm -hmm. and going off like right now, we, we don't have a script for, for this conversation. It's, you know, we're, we're moving the conversation around. Well, okay, maybe you have some notes, but I don't have any I did, notes. I had notes because I was like, I'd be ready. These are AIs. <laughs> um, it's um, so I'm going to take all of that and I'm rethink what I would do in in kind of that situation. So my my team is we're going back to the original scenario. My team has spent you know probably a year collecting the data, making sure that I've got, you know, I've removed the data bias. Then we go and build the AI algorithms and we test that data in our AI models. And we're trying to remove any additional human biases that may come in, in in that testing and how we interpret the data. And then we finally get the pilot and the pilot's going well, and we're ready to tell the story. What I'm hearing is we're probably, we're going to have to not assume that we can go and just have a whole bunch of meetings in person across the, the US because that's probably not going to happen. Travel restrictions still apply. Companies still have policies. Mm -hmm. um, travel costs are enormously high at the moment. So instead of me just putting something in the newsletter, which is written that nobody you know may not read, or in also instead of just maybe creating a four minute video, which I know sometimes works well because we wanna see and hear the individual. What I think I'm hearing is 
leverage the, the technology that we have, which is today we're on a Zoom call, and tell that story in, in your meetings. But I'm, I think what would resonate here in this scenario is don't get just one big massive Zoom meeting where you have you know, 200 people, because in the end, you're just gonna be presenting. There's not mm -hmm. really any interaction. But maybe what I do is I take that, that story that I've, I've prepped for, and I go in, instead of going out to a department you know, that's in Texas, I have a Zoom meeting with a smaller group of people and I communicate the story with them and I give the options for interaction. Because your book, you I mean, even in the title of your book, it's communicating in the age of disruption. Mm -hmm. You know, like for example, I can turn my video off and all you see is a face and you have no idea if I'm even, even at my desk. <laughs> so, but I, I, think, I think what I'm hearing is the art of storytelling is, is interaction. It mm -hmm. is, is one of the underlying principles. And in order to get interaction, I need to have these small meetings. And, and I loved your, what was it? It was, um, what did you call it? Memory? Moment. Memorable, uh, memorable moments. Memorable they, they moments. They were doing a look back of what they went through in the last year. To yeah, just I like recognize that. It. So that was their time. It's great, but I use a version of that too when I'm working. And it, it just to just pay attention. You've got gold in those those situations that you don't have chance to look at, and you know, parking it for a minute to to recognize it. It it, it can just reap so many benefits of things that are hiding in plain sight you really need to capture and, and keep doing more of, more or less of the case. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think something else that we probably should, should talk about is who the right person is to tell that story. Because mm -hmm. I know a lot of individuals in, in these scenarios and a lot of times the individual that's creating that AI algorithm, which is very mathematical, typically isn't or may not be the right person to communicate that story. Um, and I know that the individuals that sit in that leadership role often feel like they're the ones who have to tell the story because it's their team. But mm -hmm. I, you know, one of the things that you kind of alluded to is the storytelling, because it's an art, it's both the, the tactical and the, the, the data-driven, but also the emotional, um, maybe not everybody in my organization is going to be the right person to go and tell that story. Is, is, is that a safe assumption? Because I, I think every okay. leader, you know, I think what I'm trying to, to get to is leaders feel like they're the ones that they have to tell the story. But I think what I'm hearing is they may not be the right person. There should be shared stories that when you have an organization that shares, um, has some collective stories that they share, There'll be, there'll be things, if you are doing it from your own perspective, not being robotic, you can transfer a lot of information in, and engage your listener. Like if you're recruiting, let's say, I'm going to use a different thing. If you're trying to engage uh, new hires or people outside the organization to join, if everyone talks about the organization in their own life, but also references some key stories about what we've done and how we've done it, but they are not just reciting something where it's very left brain objective. It lands on the listener in that enthusiasm matter. Yes, senior leadership needs to learn how to tell a story. They also need to have people who can do listening 
for them, be an audience and mirror back to what's being said and what to curate and what, what I call when I write a speech, what you to throw off the boat. Mm-hmm. Nice analogy, don't need it here. Get rid of it, save it for another time. So it's the art of, t- like any artist, it's the art of what you put into your story as, and also what you take out. What is not essential, what doesn't bring the storyline forward and what just confuses the listener. I've done this when I've coached people when they are doing a presentation or like a big speech for an organization and they wanna get a certain message across. It's listening to what is important about their message and then guiding them to say, you don't need that. You're losing your audience. Take it out. You're, you're, uh, you're starting to go into left brain mode. You're going to disconnect with your audience, whether you're on a Zoom or whether you're doing it in person audience. And, and it's amazing. And it's building on the irony or something. Again, I keep coming back to find something relatable that the audience and you will connect to that says, ah, it's like she's been in the room with me. Mm. I, she gets me or she understands where I'm coming from. The other valuable thing too, not just having someone can help um, question, get different levels of thinking and listening. Now, as I'm saying this, I can visualize when I was writing my, my book started as a speech a few years ago before it became a book. And I created pods of listeners of different styles who I knew would give me objective way thinking and tell me what was wrong or what they didn't understand, things that I thought was quite obvious. So it's about getting out our own way and giving yourself to beta test about what the message is. I rem- I've worked with a lot of engineers and I've always been the one on the other side of the spectrum. So whenever I was testing something, I would torture people. <laughs> this is what we're doing. This is what's going to get launched. What do you think? And, and then when they told me how much they hated it and what needed to be changed. At least I was prepared <laughs> to, to how to put it out to the larger audience. The other thing is not to take yourself so seriously and be open to saying, well, maybe things need to be a little bit better or I'm not seeing certain aspects of how the audience is going to receive this, if that helps you. Yeah, so I'm, it's, I'm, it's, it's using the same precepts you would do in market and pride. Like go and find that the person who's opposite your way of thinking mm. And, and leverage their expertise, your product will be the better of it. You'll still keep your own voice, but you'll know what that audience member is going to be thinking. And um, practice. It's not about memorizing. It's creating a framework for the story. Here's key elements. This is the message. This is what I can do because the way I tell you a story is going to be much different because of our relationship and our history than when I tell another group down the street same story because it's a unique situation so it's as much about improving and reacting than it is to um, reciting we don't want a, you know a recitation when we're doing a story it's in the moment if it needs it use it if you don't need it don't use it i i i like the way you answered my question because i was pushing back that maybe leadership is not the right one to tell the story because maybe they're not experienced or maybe they're, um, you know, too engineering or too mathematical. But you pushed back on me and said, no, leader, the leadership should be telling the story. And I think this goes back to, you know, as I'm listening, um, if the lead, if the executive leader, and we're going to just say the the chief, you know, C-suite is, is telling that story, then they've got skin in the game. And now I'm starting to, to, you know, 
my my head is you know spinning. I'm going back to all those times where I've been on projects, and I rarely could get leadership to come in for maybe five minutes and say, you know, five minutes of something. And then the rest of the story was some, you know, really being communicated by somebody else. Um, and now I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, those projects probably would have resonated a lot more if the, the, the leader, the executive sponsor, the one who, you know, funded this, the one who actually pushed to, to get this project going, you're right, we never heard from that individual. And yet that's mm -hmm. the one who had the skin in the game. And that's the one I probably, I, this is so like enlightening and I'm connecting all the dots at the moment. And, <laughs> and um, yeah, this is, this has been great. No, this is, this is good. Thank you. I'm laughing because I can, in my HR, we're not the favorite. We're not the leading edge. <laughs> we're, we're the thing that you get forced to go. So it's a big difference. What I saw, I always leading some project management issues for a consumer for our division with a consumer product company years ago. A lot differently when you had the senior person check off and say, you're going. Suddenly everyone's calendar was cleared and everyone's flexible. Then when you're like, I was chasing people down the hallway trying mm -hmm. to get them to show up. But not every leader is adept to story and it can be a real risk. So it's don't assume just because they have a title or we have a title that we're good at what we're doing. Find some help, get some perspective, test it because it can be a real killer of, of a mood or, or too much mm -hmm. information. So it's, it's kind of a yin and yang, the balance. I can see people in my head who are brilliant. And then others, I was like, please, please, you've said enough. No, no. <laughs> time to stop. <laughs> Wait, lunch, let's go now <laughs> before you lose the group. So it's, it's figuring out and having that collaboration and I think building trust collaborate and give an honest opinion um, and finding what that connecting thing, it doesn't always happen in the meeting. So that's the other thing when we're doing that's mm. very good at being type A, let's get it done. Let's have an agenda. Lots of inspiration happens at 3 a.m. Got to give your introverts time to process the information, voice their opinion. And then the better product is the result of letting it swirl around, make a decision, but agree to say, you're going to build on it. And you got to still try. The whole idea of doing the story work is taking a risk to hear your own voice shared in a very authentic way with truths, giving feelings and perspective. And that is the challenge. And once you do that, you'll, you'll learn a lot of lessons. I've been learning a lot of lessons. So, interesting. so one of the, so the art of storytelling isn't just a matter of, I went in there and I, I communicated my message and I'm done. It's, it's not a one-time thing. It's, it's a story. It's ongoing. It's here's what's going on. Here's what we're doing. Here's why. Here's how, you know, the feedback that we've gotten. But then it's that ongoing, here's how it's impacted this one individual. And, you know, and then, you know, coming back with another point in the story. And, and so that I guess it's, it would be more memorable because I'm, I'm hearing that, I'm hearing the, the underlying message maybe from all these different perspectives, but I'm hearing it over a course of time. And I think that's what you mentioned earlier is that the story is what makes this memorable. And, and if you put the elements together that you've outlined today and then continued that story throughout, then the chances are that you've built those relationships and, mm -hmm. and what you've built is actually being utilized because that's the whole point of why you're building it. And then, you know, you alluded to the change management, which ultimately impacts the adoption of what you're doing. And the relationship point you made is mm -hmm. 
the end game. You took the, you took the opportunity to listen. You listened in more than one way. You shared your own truths. You injected some emotion and some real information into it. So now I have context when I listen to you and whether I agree or not what you're proposing, at least I have some reasoning. And no matter where we stand and what we're doing, that is a relationship changer and it will change the dynamic of how we work together because you've given me certain information about your backstory and how you're working in the context that I'll probably pay attention and listen to you in a different way the next time I see you. Hmm. So Julian, as we wrap up, are there some final key takeaways that somebody who's listening can go to work tomorrow and take some of the elements of what you're talking about and maybe change how they're working tomorrow, change how they're creating their story tomorrow? I think in the book, I give some basic points, but it boils down to taking a moment to pause and listen and ask good questions, basically, to be more curious than you are. It's like, it's really important sometimes to step away from our opinion because we're writing our own script and the assumptions in the, in the effort to get to land it done. So take a moment to ask questions, diversify who you're asking those questions to, Ask the uncomfortable question, you get some feedback, whether you, uh, it takes you in a different direction and keep learning and sharing it with your group. And um, don't, don't give up. I go through this every time I give a talk, I'm like, I have nothing, I have nothing. And then you, you mull and you ask questions, you brainstorm and there's always something really amazing that comes out. I've seen game-changing moments of people changing behaviors and how they relate to each other in organizations that were stuck. Mm -hmm. um, so trust in, I always say trust in the process. It's a powerful process. It's, it complements what everybody's doing in their work. Mm -hmm. And it's something you can build into your daily work practice in a very powerful way so, and try it. So I, I personally have taken um, some things away from this conversation that I will modify going forward. So this was absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much, Julian, for your time today. Thank you. This is exciting. And what an amazing, so you didn't ask me anything about metaverse. I am not buying my avatar clothes. That's it. Or <laughs> wardrobes and furniture. I'm drawing the line that, that that's a whole nother topic of metaverse. I see some value. I see a lot of value in this stuff. <laughs> yeah. I'm no, not that's going a good shopping. Point. That's I want to go shopping. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Talk about art of communication, storytelling in, in um, reality, virtual reality. That's yes. Oh, All right, let's let's save that level. for like a whole nother <laughs> a whole nother conversation. Absolutely. Thank you again for your time today, Julian. Okay, cheers. Bye. Good luck. All the best.